Hey everyone, my name is Paige and I am the Creative Arts Manager at Grace Church Barberton. Welcome to our Sunday service podcast. We are so glad you're listening. This is the live recording of our Sunday message and we hope you are encouraged and challenged by what you hear. Let's jump into our series, The Seed. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you all this morning and good to be with you. Excited for our conversation this morning. We're having a good time. Uh, Matthew 28 is where we're going to be if you want to turn there, but I have a question before we get started. Have you ever felt clueless in a situation before? Have you ever been thrown into a situation you're like, what in the world is happening right now? I remember I was a junior in high school and my youth pastor at the time, his name is Greg Foote, he's over at the Norton campus, he started to meet with me and my friend Brandon at McDonald's at 6.30 in the morning on Friday before school. It's kind of this discipleship mentorship experience. We'd go there, we'd read scripture, we'd come, we'd talk about life, talk about uh, God's word, talk about our life inside of that, and then we'd go to school, right? We did that for about a year. And I remember Greg looking at us coming towards the end of our junior year, going into senior year, and he said, boys, I want to continue to do this into next year. We're like, that's awesome, right? We want to do this, right? He'd buy us like a McGriddle and an orange juice or something. You're like, that's cool. I'm down for that, and I'm down for hanging out with you, right? And then he said this, but I don't want it just to stay here. I want you to go do this with others. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Okay, we might be down. He said, this is the plan. We got a bunch of sixth grade boys that are coming in next year. I want you and Brandon to lead the sixth grade boys small group next year. And I kid you not, I was like, my eyes were as big as they could be. My mouth was like, what's happening? He said, you two leading 12 sixth grade boys. And it was just literally us two and the sixth grade boys. And I remember going into that fall and I tell you what, it was the greatest training grounds. And there were some of the weirdest moments of my life that happened inside of that small group. Right? There was a bunch of sixth grade boys that literally ran around, did whatever they wanted most of the time, and were trying to wrangle them, right? I remember moments where they would be, uh, they'd bring in a pot of mac and cheese, and we would just have mac and cheese, because why not have mac and cheese at small group, right? We would get into conversations about scripture, and I had one boy ask me, hey, can we, Pastor Joel, or I wasn't Pastor Joel at that time, can we, Joel, study Song of Solomon? And I was like, oh my gosh, and if you don't know what the Song of Songs is, right, if you don't know what that kind of is, right? It's a sixth grader asking me to study Song of Songs. And I was like, if you don't know what it is, just look it up briefly and you'll understand why that is funny, right? And I was like, no, because no, because no one in this room has any idea what that is going on there, right? We don't want to go there, right? I remember times where we have marshmallow fights in our student center and there'd be marshmallow in the carpet, all of that stuff, right? And on top of that, my brother was a part of that crew. So you're like trying to lead all these sixth grade boys and then your brother's in there too. And you're like, what is happening? But I remember this, I remember that experience, right? As crazy as it got at times, as weird as it got, as as chaotic as it got, was such a great opportunity that Greg had released us into. Because what he did for us was not simply meet with us around a McDonald's table and then cheer us on as we went to school, but he equipped us to run into other people's lives for the sake of the gospel, and those sixth grade boys, right, they, they may have learned little, 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 but they were invested in by guys that were invested in by another person. And ultimately releasing into that an opportunity for them to do the same in years to come. 
It's neat to see that sixth grade grew. Now, now they're all young adults, which is crazy, right? It makes me feel older. But they're all young adults, and some of them are leading in the church. Some of them are across the country doing some different neat things. And I think today, as we jump into this, right, we're going to talk about this idea of being released. Because Greg released us. He released us to do for others what he had done for us. And if we are going to be a movement of planting the seed of the gospel, if we're going to be a movement of seeing the next generation of oaks growing, we have to be a movement of releasing for the sake of multiplying. We cannot just keep what's going on here, here. But releasing, ultimately sending, ultimately for the sake of those oaks growing and future oaks growing out of that. We are in a conversation that we are calling the seed. We're calling it the seed, a discipleship journey, because this conversation really is impacting the next three years for us as a church. That as we talk and as we talk about where we want to invest in, we're talking about where is our time, energy, our money, where, where are us as people running into the next three years for the sake of God and his glory being seen and his gospel being heard. And over the last several months, we as a team have been conversing about it, praying about it, and God has just led us in a neat way. And what's been neat is he drilled into us this question, this question we've been asking over and over the last several weeks is this, as a campus or as a church, what if we planted the seed that would eventually grow into the next generation of oaks? What if we planted the seed that would grow into the next generation of oaks? Because this is where we leaned into Isaiah 61, <clears throat> verse 3. Because here's the reality about an oak tree. An oak tree is known for its longevity, its wisdom, its resilience, its strength, right? It's a visual of that. We talked about that. Oak trees can live to be 900 to 1,000 years, right? Be around this earth for that long. We said, what if we invested spiritually into oak trees instead of into mushrooms? And this is the passage we've been looking at. This is what Isaiah writes. He says this, they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. We said, as we start this journey, we want to make sure we're investing in the right spaces. But ultimately, two things have to be present inside of this journey for our investment to make any sort of difference. The first is Jesus has to be at the center of this journey. If he is not at the center of this journey, our investment is wasted. It's just a bunch of good things that we ended up doing so that we get the credit. And secondly, not only has Jesus got to be at the center, but everything has to point to the glory of God. And we ultimately want this journey to give God glory. And then we said our investment from there, right, is worth it. And our investment is worth pouring into. And our time, energy, our monies, all of those things are worth pouring into in very specific ways. Next week, we're actually calling it Commitment Sunday because in front of you in the backs of the seats are commitment cards that we had made very specifically for you and I to invest in this journey. And we'd invite you to take those with you. If you have one and you lost it, take another one. That's fine. If you haven't grabbed one, grab one. We'd invite you to pray over it. Now let me explain the different kind of categories that we're encouraging to pray over 
The first one is we'd invite you to pray over praying with us over the next three years, right? See how we did that? We want to lavish this journey in prayer. Come back next week, not only for Commitment Sunday, but we're going to talk about what it looks like to posture ourselves in a posture of prayer, ultimately throughout this journey, because we cannot do it in and of ourselves It's only God who's going to lead in that. So I'd invite you back for next Sunday talking through that. The second category is participate. We'd invite you to participate in this journey in some very tangible ways. There's some tangible ways on there from community outreach to our next generation ministries to even Sunday morning and investing in this space and beyond. We'd invite you to pray over where God maybe is leading you in that. And then lastly, we'd invite you to consider partnering with us financially giving towards our general budget, that we as a campus want to tackle that and make sure that our giving is staring in the face of our budget so that we can continue to do what God's called us to do and continue to move in that direction. So maybe for you, you've never, you've never jumped into that discipleship journey with Jesus financially. We'd invite you to consider that, and we'd love to talk through that with you if you have questions. Or maybe you're someone that's jumped in and you are giving financially to the movement here of grace and the movement of the gospel. And in this season, you want to give above and beyond for the sake of these things happening. He's running into our community, running into our next generation, running into discipleship. And we'd encourage you to consider that also. Next Sunday, what we're going to do is we're going to have a moment where you can fill it out. If you have it filled out already, you can turn it in. There's a box back there. We're just going to have you turn that in. And we're going to follow up just as a way to say we appreciate your investment and want to come alongside of you in that. Myself, the staff, the steering team, life group leaders are all doing the same thing. We are making the same kind of commitment and jumping in with everybody, right? We want to make this a thing where we're all in this together. So let me pray as we start into this week's conversation about what it means to invest in the seed. So Father, we come to you. We praise you. We praise you for who you are and all that you do. Father, even the fact that we are here this morning, that we are living on your good earth is a testimony to your love and your grace and who you are. That, Father, you desire relationship with us. You desire more than us just sitting in a room together. You desire us to run into you, run into each other, run into hearts who are not currently here. And so, Father, would you just align our hearts and our minds and our souls on the gospel today? That, Father, would you just make us stare dead into the face of your good news that is Jesus, all about Jesus, because of Jesus. And Father, today, would you do something inside of us that only your grace and your mercy, your compassion, your kindness can do? And Father, I pray that as you move us in the gospel work, the heart work that only you can do, that you also would then out of that move us into the arenas of life you have us in. That, Father, in this room is not just an individual gathering of people that are all in the same space, but Monday through Saturday, we are all in very different spaces. And so, Father, encourage us to think outside of this room, outside of of what maybe we've kind of boxed in as our influence. Father, open our eyes to our neighbors, our kids, our coworkers, our friends, those who go to school with us. Father, would you encourage us to move by faith and with a vision 
for what it would look like to plant the seed of the gospel in others' lives. Father, we thank you for the influence you've given us in our community and even beyond. Father, you've allowed us to do things like an egg hunt. You've allowed us to have impact around the Easter time, the summertime, and things that are happening there. Father, we're grateful for how you're moving in our city and our community, and we ask that you continue to place us in the spaces you want us in. We're grateful. We love you. We thank you for this moment. Pray this in your name. Amen. So as we've been going through this journey, the first two weeks, just to recap, I I would invite you to go back and look at them if you haven't or weren't with us the last two weeks. The first week we said this, if we're going to plant the seed or if we're going to be in this journey together called the seed, it has to be a movement of planting the gospel to be a movement of planting the gospel. This journey that we're calling the seed, first and foremost, has to have a planting of the gospel tied into everything we do. We talked about running into our community specifically. We talked about running into those around us specifically. If we lose sight of this, then we've lost sight of what the journey is all about. We lose sight of this and we've lost sight of what the journey is all about and ultimately where our journey started and what we have to offer to others. Last week we said this, it also has to be a movement of pursuing Jesus. It's be a movement of following after Jesus, discipling Jesus. But I said this, right? Oftentimes we can kind of jump a, 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 a peg on the ladder, right? We can say, go follow Jesus, go follow Jesus, Right? And following Jesus starts by first falling more in love with Jesus and understanding that he first loved us, right? And in that pursuit of him, it is falling more in love with him and falling more in love with what he is about and less in love with my sin and my selfishness and yada, 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 all that stuff, right? Today, though, we're going to go a step further that this journey has to be a movement of purposeful multiplication. This journey has to be a movement of purposeful multiplication. Like I said, I did a lot of oak tree research uh, during the last month and beyond. And uh, I don't know if you know this. Do you know how an oak tree multiplies? You know how an oak tree multiplies, right? Maybe some of you do. I didn't know that originally, so I had to look it up. And it's actually pretty fascinating that, uh, how an oak tree multiplies. I'm not going to go into it because there's terminologies and there's all these different sorts of things I don't know about. But literally, if you look it up, you'll find there's things with pollination, flowers, and of course, our good friends, acorns, right? That have to do with uh, multiplicating and ultimately an oak tree being rooted or being planted somewhere else, right? They even give credit to the squirrels sometimes, right? They grab the acorn, they move them somewhere else, and an oak tree is formed from there. What I found fascinating is this, is that what stood out to me is when typically an oak tree starts to multiply. Have you looked that up? Like I said, in the first couple weeks, an oak tree usually lives to be 900 to 1,000 years old. But within the first 20 to 50 years, an oak tree will multiply itself or will produce the acorns or will produce the seed or pollination starts and the the formation of that multiplication starts to take place. And it goes on from there year after year after year to multiply itself. They can begin to multiply as early as 20 years in, which means this, that multiplication for an oak tree is a part of its DNA. That it's a part of its DNA and ultimately it is one of its purposes 
as an oak tree. Can you imagine an oak tree that grew and never had acorns, never had pollination, never flowered, right? It never had any sort of multiplication to itself, right? It would grow to be 900,000 years old still, but it would never have any impact beyond its little turf, right? Beyond where it stands, beyond where it's placed. And multiplication is the same for us. It must be our DNA. And interesting enough, multiplication, purposeful multiplication, must be our DNA, but is actually the DNA of God and his story. Luke 4. Luke 4 is where we're going to start. And I love, love, love how intricate this passage is and how well Jesus walks us through it. Like I said the first couple weeks, Jesus, he's in Nazareth, his hometown, after his wilderness experience. He has been invited in to kind of preach and read the scripture for that Sabbath day. He gets handed the scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah is a major prophet, some 60-some chapters in the book if you read through it now. Gets handed the scroll of Isaiah. He specifically turns to Isaiah 61, it's found in our Bible, and he reads from it. And then he says two verses later, today, this passage has been fulfilled through me. But we're going to read through that quotation again because there's something powerful inside of it. Luke 4. He stood up to read. This is Jesus. Scroll of prophet Isaiah was handed him. He unrolled it, found the place where it is written. This is Isaiah 61, verse 1. The spirit of the Lord is on me, Jesus reads, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's interesting about this is Jesus, in that kind of last portion there, 18 to 19, interjects some wording that isn't originally in Isaiah 61. He says, to set the oppressed free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor is there, but that set the oppressed free is something that Jesus kind of interjects. It's in Isaiah 61, but he interjects it in this specific wording. Some scholars think it's found in other places of Isaiah. That literally, when you look into that wording, he set the oppressed free, what it draws attention to is this word release. That what Jesus is trying to articulate and what he is saying by set the oppressed free is I am the one who releases you from your chains. I am the one who has come to release you from your prison. That literally that word, scholars think, is very specific to who Jesus is and what he has come to do inside of that phrase because it's very characteristic of Jesus's ministry. Jesus was in the business of releasing people from the prison of their sin and ultimately releasing them back into the world to share about him. He didn't just release them to go on their merry way, but release them in such a way that they felt released to go share about him and bring others along inside of that. So what's that mean for us? First is this, Jesus purposefully releases us. Jesus purposefully releases us. Now listen, that passage we're going to look at here in a minute again has a lot of power tied to it. 
And I love the wording that Jesus uses inside of that passage. That Jesus, I think, knew something inherently about us that you and I wrestle with and struggle with all of the time. And sometimes we can articulate it, but other times it's just there. That eyes up here. That Jesus knew inherently our sin creates a prison inside of us. That Jesus didn't just come to kind of stand there and say some good words and do some good things. He came to release and free and give us freedom and give us ultimately inside of that an adoption and, and family of God. We get to be a part of what he is doing. But listen, but listen, Jesus, he releases us. We got to start here to be released. Sometimes I can get so amped up for all the things I'm doing and forget that he first had released me before I could be released into the world to share his good news. This is where Luke 4, 18 through 19 talks about. Like I said, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's two really profound things inside of that passage. Because here's the reality. In Genesis 1 through 3, we see the beginnings of the world happen. We see God walking with Adam and Eve, the first human beings. And then sin enters in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, we see everything turns. We see this joy, this peace, this presence, this relationship all of a sudden shift and be broken. What happens inside of that is this, that sin, what it does inside of us is it makes us a prisoner to guilt, shame, and fear. That what Adam and Eve were responding to out of their sin was this prison of guilt, this prison of shame, this prison of fear, not knowing who they are anymore, not trusting God anymore, not trusting in what he says anymore. They were naked, and they all of a sudden realized it for the first time, and they're ashamed. They had to clothe themselves with something they've made. They're guilty. Here's the reality. Before we talk about multiplication, before we talk about all the fancy stuff that comes with what we're going to do as a church, you and I have to come face to face with the reality of our sin and what it does to us. That for some of us, we sit in here and we are in a prison of our guilt. We look back and we just run based off of the guilt of what we've done, of who we've been around, of what they said about me. And that prison, it controls me and it keeps a hold of me. For those of us, we sit in a prison of shame. We're captive to shame. Maybe it's the what ifs. Where am I enough? I can't believe who I've become. Or did I become anything? Or I can't believe I did that. Or I got to kind of cover up exteriorly so that no one sees interiorly what's going on. Or fear. It's in a prison of fear. What our sin does is makes us fearful of where we're going maybe or who will find out what's going on there or just fearful of did I actually do anything worthwhile in my life? Am I worth anything? Do I bring any value? Our sin is going to continue to bring that to the surface. What Jesus says is I've come to release you 
not just from fear, shame, and guilt, yes, but I've come to release you from your sin, your selfishness, the living by your flesh. I have come to do for you what you could not do on your own. Because each and every one of us are sitting in a jail cell, we're handcuffed to our sin. And what it does is it creates that guilt, shame, and fear, and we're sitting there. And no matter what you do, no matter where you go, no matter who you ask, you cannot get out of it on your own. You can't. You can't cover up enough. You can't try to do good enough. You can't. And Jesus, who is the only one who lived a perfect life, died the death that you and I deserved, rose again to give us life, has the key to unlock it. And what's interesting is this, because some would argue that you could best explain being in that jail cell spiritually as death, right? There's no way out. You're just there until you're not there, right? You're just dead in your sins, What's interesting is Jesus died so that we could live. Jesus did the thing for us that we were living in to conquer our sin and death so that we could have life. What I love about what Jesus does here is he says, to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Scholars would draw that point out and say that what Jesus is talking about is this specific year called the year of Jubilee that you can find in the Old Testament. Leviticus 25 is a place where you would find that. In the year of Jubilee, we talked about this the first week, slaves were set free, debts were canceled, and things set to a new start. Here's the reality. Jesus is saying, I have come to proclaim that this this year of the Lord's favor, I have come so that you would be set free, so that your debts would be canceled, so that a fresh start would exist. And I have come not just in a year for that to happen, but it will always be available through me and because of me. What Jesus is doing is he is purposely releasing us from our sin through what he's done on the cross and through his resurrection. And it's by his grace And what he says to us is, it is you believing in and trusting in, following after me with your life. His grace, mercy, and love is this undeserved gift, which invites me to turn to him as the savior of my life. He says, this is what the gospel's about. And listen, eyes up here. For some of us, right, we're sitting in that cell of guilt, fear, shame, and here's the reality. We walk in here, some of us, I've been here at times. I fight this every day sometimes. I'm fearful of, did I become anything? Am I doing enough? I'm ashamed of what I've done. I'm guilty of this, right? And that's why Jesus continues to remind us to look at the gospel, staring dead in the face of the truth of the gospel because the gospel tells me this, and I'm just gonna I've said this the first two weeks. So this part's basically the same sermon, okay? But it's so vastly important. God loves you. When you sit in that cell, you may not feel that. You might be like, how could he? He's not even here. He wouldn't love someone like me. He, He doesn't know what I've done. He doesn't know who I am. God loves you. You know how I know he loves you? He created you. Listen, if the creator of the world created you, he loves you. 
He wouldn't have created you if he didn't want to have a relationship with you. He formed you. He fashioned you. He invited you in. He invited you to partner with him. And even when we ran from him, he ran after us, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. Which is the most beautiful picture of who our God is. Listen, we have to start. I was talking to Xavier about this on Monday. We, got, we were supposed to meet about other things, and we got into this long, awesome rant about the gospel, which is a beautiful thing, right? You, you don't have to apologize when you're on staff at a church. You just, you're like, that's part of the job, right? <laughs> we were talking about this. If the gospel doesn't start with God loves you, what it does start with is your guilt, shame, and fear defining who God is. Listen, sin separates you. Oftentimes, I think our picture of God is one of he's looking down on me and he's judging. He's looking down on me and he's ashamed of me. I have to hide myself because I'm fearful of God. That is not who God is. Your sin has separated you and has created guilt, fear, and shame inside of you. Your God is coming after you through Jesus Christ because your sin separating you, right, didn't stop God from coming after you. Jesus has rescued you. Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, completely saves you and redefines who you are. You're no longer defined based on these things. You're no defined based on what's going on here. You're no longer defined on what's happening here. He has not only saved you from eternal separation from him in a place called hell, but he has also saved you into a relationship where now you get to interact with him differently and there's a relationship with him and there's a new identity that you get to embrace. No longer do you have to fear if you're anybody, you are a child of God. No longer do you have to be ashamed of what you've done because you've been forgiven. No longer do you have to be guilty because you've been graced. And so because of Jesus, no longer do you have to fear because there's a new community around you not just to kind of hang out and do life, but to grace you and come alongside of you and to pursue you as Jesus does so that you would know the gospel at richer lengths. And then there's a new mission, which is where we're gonna go. Because Jesus purposely releases you, not just so that you can walk out of your jail cell and be like, deuces, thank you, right? But so that you can jump into the mission of sharing him with others so that others understand he's the only one that can release you from your sin. The only one. And that's what we're gonna talk about. But before we go there, if you've never said yes to Jesus, my invitation would be to talk to myself, staff member, someone with a lanyard on. Saying yes to Jesus is saying, yes, I understand I'm a sinner. You're the savior of the world. I understand that I cannot live in any other way. I cannot keep living my own way. It's only through you, and I want to say yes to you. It doesn't have to be some fancy prayer. It doesn't have to be some fancy lingo. It can just be literally giving your heart over to the one who has pursued you. Because the reality is this. He wants to invite you into what he's doing, and he's not going to stop running after you until you have made that decision until he returns, until it's come to its fullest. What I love about Isaiah 61 is it tells us exactly where this next generation of oaks is called to invest. Isaiah 61, 
This is after Jesus' quotation, right? This is after we kind of see that parallel. This is our passage in the passage after that. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Now listen, they will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Listen, of course, Isaiah is talking contextually, right? Talking about the Jewish nation and talking about the hope that is to come and what is to take place. I think if you extrapolate that out to what the gospel does in our life, releases us from our sin and our shame and our guilt, and then all of a sudden we see oaks of righteousness growing based on saying yes to the seed of the gospel, and their covering is called to restore and renew and rebuild inside of the community that they are over. That ultimately we're released to make the glory of the God known and to do good for the sake of the gospel being known. And that's where we're going today. Paul Tripp would say it like this, and then we're gonna get running. God never intended for us to simply be the objects of his love. We are also called to be the instruments of that love in the lives of others. We're not just called to walk out of the prison cell and say, yep, sweet, cool, gonna go lounge on my sofa. But I'm gonna go run after those who do not believe they are loved, who are lost, who are suffering. Remember the God Is series? We talked about Jonah. God does not see stupid. He sees suffering. What if our community, we didn't look and say, wow, they're so stupid. What if we saw suffering? Because our God ran after us when we were running as far away from him as we could. And we get a chance to partner in that work with him. And it doesn't have to be this magnificent, you got a stage and you're up front speaking. It is in the small, unlikely things of life. Every day, you and I have opportunities. We're gonna talk about that. But ultimately, it's where Jesus wants us to go. Purposely invites us to go. So he purposely releases us from our sin, from our shame. He makes us anew to purposely release us back into the world. He doesn't want to just sanitize us and keep us over here, release us back into the world to be agents of change, agents of the gospel, agents of life and light, pointing people to the one who gives that. What I love about the story of scripture is this, is this has been God's desire from the very beginning. And he keeps running after us and keeps inviting us to do this with him and we keep running from him, but he just keeps running after us. And that's what I love about our God, because this is what we see. In the very beginning, Genesis 1, where everything was perfect and great, the Garden of Eden, everything was in God's presence and relationship with him. Adam and Eve were, it was beautiful, right? This is what God says. Genesis 1, 27 to 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Roll over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the grounds. He says, you were created to be in relationship with me, first and foremost, right? That is there but also to be fruitful, multiply, and rule. And that is often where we start. We often start with, we gotta go do this thing, and that's our purpose, and we're gonna run after it. 
But do you see where God starts? I love about where God starts is this. God created them in his own image and blessed them. And then he said, be fruitful and multiply and rule over the fish of the sea and the, the creatures on the land. Here's the reality. We have to start there. We have to start there. That first, when you and I see that God created you and I very specifically, lovingly, intricately, he created you and I, and when you understand that and attach to that truth, you start to understand who God is and who you are in light of that. I think the creation story is the foundation of understanding our identity. It's the foundation of understanding who we are and what we're called to do. It's the foundation of understanding who God is. In the beginning, God, he's always been, will always be. He desired relationship with us and created us out of that. As creator, we have to understand we are not our own. He has created us in his image. We are created as image bearers of our creator, and he did not make a mistake by that. He didn't. You are here for a reason. You are here for a purpose. You're here for a mission. Even if the rest of the world tells you you're not, you are. Because your creator has created you and invited you in. And listen, that is a profound grace to be invited into the work of the creator God. And maybe you're not there yet where you're like, he created everything and I'm not so sure, right? We'd love to have conversations around that. But for the sake of what we're talking about, we believe here that the one true God is the creator of all. And that when we understand that, all of a sudden our lives start to take a different picture because we're here not because of us, but because of him and for him. But secondly, do you see also what he did inside of that God? Secondly, God graces us from the beginning. Listen, I love this. I love it. I love how Moses writes this. He said, God, let us uh, make mankind in our image, right? God creates them and blesses them. There was a blessing before he ever purposed them out into the world. Imagine that. You and I are walking pictures of grace. We are walking pictures of grace. The fact that you and I exist on this earth is a picture of God's grace, and he wanted to, at the beginning of everything, make known that his creation of human beings is something special. It is something that brings his image to the forefront. He made male and female, so the fullness of his character, the fullness of his role, the fullness of who he is would be seen and captured as we live life together. He said, you are blessed. Now go and multiply. Now go and live life. Now go and rule with me. Even before sin existed, it was always who God is, who I am. Now I know what to do. There's a beauty to that. It's a beauty to understanding that. And then sin got in the way of that. It gets in the way of us understanding God as creator, Lord, King, Father. It gets in the way of us understanding ourselves. And it gets in the way of what we're called to do as his creation. We're supposed to live a life of worship to him. But he didn't stop there. He kept pursuing. Listen, this is throughout all scripture. And I love looking at this stuff. Abraham, Genesis 12. God reignites a covenant 
with a specific people, Abraham and his family. And this is what is said. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on the earth will be, a, will be blessed through you. What we see here is God reinitiates a relationship with a very specific people, what we would know as the Jewish people, Abraham's family, to reignite this covenantal, I love you, I'm pursuing you, now go be my people, partner with me so that others can see. But do you see what is happening here? Abraham is talking to God, God's talking to Abraham, he says, I will make you into a great nation, has Abraham done anything yet? No. And I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Listen, God wants to grace you, and us being a blessing and gracing others is not based in anything that I've done. It's all based in what he has done, and he has pursued me inside of that. And he says this, and what's I love about Abraham he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to grace you. Why? So you can be a blessing to others. Y you can be a blessing to others. Well, do I need to muster up and make sure that God approves me? Nope, 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 nope. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you. Your name is great. Now go bless others. Jesus has set us free. He's given us a new identity, a new community, a new mission. Now go bless others. You've done none of that, but I want you to be a part of this. And then he continues to do it in our lives. Matthew 28. Matthew 28 is the classic disciple-making passage. But don't miss where Jesus starts. Matthew 28. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. Jesus died on the cross. He just resurrected. The disciples were, were called to meet him at this mountain, mountainside, near Galilee. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Right? Whenever it's like six and six, you know, maybe there is, or at that point, six and five, right? Was kind of, what's the siding there, right? Who doubted, who worshiped? Besides the point, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of Father, in the name of Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. This, we're going to start running here because this movement is all about disciple making. What I love about this passage is in verse 18, he says, all authority has been given to me. Why has all authority been given to him? Jesus just died and rose from the dead. All authority better be given to him, right? Not only is he God in the flesh, but he has conquered death and sin. He's like, all authority has been claimed by me, and now it's proven, now it's at its fullest visual, I have conquered the grave. And what I love is this, it gives us a picture of how he graces us. He graces us through the work of his life, death, and resurrection. Jesus brings redemption and fulfillment through his good news, and Jesus' death and resurrection also fulfills my purpose. The fact that he says, all authority has been given to me, he is king, he is Lord, he is over all, is a gracious statement to my heart. Because if he came, or if he didn't come back, what we're doing here is silly. And if he didn't go to the cross and rise again, and we're just talking about a good guy with good morals, what we're doing here is silly because there's no life change. 
But the fact that he says all authority, and I'm going to set the right hands of my father, is such a gracious thing to say. And out of that then, after that, in verse 19, he says, therefore, because I am king, because I am Lord, because I am savior, because I'm the one that's graced you, and by faith you can say yes to me, and when you do and attach your life to me, go. Go. Right? Make disciples, baptizing them in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them all of my ways. What I love about that is this. It doesn't start with what I've done. It starts with what he did. Listen, this purposeful multiplication is not just some sort of lingo, church program, multiplication plan that we set in place. There's strategies to be had. There's things we talked about. Of course, we got to, and we are, trust me, we are spending time in that. We first have to understand multiplication starts when you and I embrace the reality that we were graced and he wants us to go out of that. Multiplication will become its fullest when you and I embrace the gospel and we go from that. Multiplication is less about a plan and more about people running after individuals. What if every one of us went after one that's not here? If every one of us connected our life to someone who doesn't know yet, what would that look like? Because this is what Jesus says. He says, go, go make disciples. Just like God said to Abraham, you are blessed, now go be a blessing. Jesus said, you are graced, now go grace others. You've been pursued, now go after others. He says, go make, right? Go make. This is what I would attribute to that. Go share the gospel, Go share the gospel because it's only by the spirit that we see people's lives being changed. Then he says, go baptize, right? Go baptize, invite them to follow. I invite them into what it means to follow after Jesus as they embrace the life of their savior and go teach, disciple them. Go make, go disciple, go teach. Sometimes we overcomplicate it. There's a pastor down in North Carolina, his name is J.G. Greer. He would say it like this, making disciples is more about intentionality than technique. Eyes up here. As I talk this passage or this paragraph, eyes up here. Discipleship means teaching others to read the Bible the way you read it, pray the way you pray, tell people about Jesus the way you do. It doesn't require years of training. You just teach others to follow Christ as you follow him. I, I thought it was so beautifully simple. Sometimes we can overcomplicate it. I got to do all the classes. Well, I got to do the programs. Well, I have to study like Pastor Joel did. Well, I got to go online and do this. Just take someone with you. Teach them how to read the Bible like you do. Teach them how to pray like you do. And teach them how you share the Jesus like you do. Is it going to be perfect? No. Is how I do it perfect? No. Never will be. I'm a perfectionist, so I hate that. But it's not. But this is what Jesus wants you to leave with. Go. Are you a parent in here? Go, go to your kids. They are with you all the time. You're discipling them, whether intentionally or unintentionally, you are discipling them. So you might as well disciple them intentionally, right? Moments where you're teaching them to read the Bible as you're reading the Bible. Moments where you're teaching them to pray as you are praying, teaching them to love others like you are loving others and running after them. Your kids, go, go after them. Don't, don't let some program, some class, don't let something hold you back where it's like, I'm not sure I know enough. Are you following Jesus? Are you one step ahead of your kids? Go. 
Let's just start there. Because what if every single one of us was intentional with one person in our home, what kind of impact would that make? You have neighbors? Go. Go. You don't have to throw open the Bible and start beating their head against the, the wall with the Bible. No, just go towards them. If they're outside, just walk towards them, right? As intimidating as that sounds, trust me, it is, right? If they're mowing their lawn, start a conversation with them. For some of us, for some of us, it's in the school or your work environments. Is there a friend, a coworker that God's placed on your heart to just go? Start being Jesus to them. Start engaging with them, seeing where God takes the conversation and maybe you'll have a chance to invite them in. For those of us, it's next generation students and kids. Go. Our next generation does not need less people around them. They need more people around them in particular in this environment. It is said that healthy next generation kind of development looks like five healthy, uh, giving to the life of this kid adults. Five healthy adults giving to a kid. Most of our kids don't have but one, maybe two, if that. Right? What if? What if we went to those that were closest to us? What if we went to our neighborhood? What if we went to the next generation relationships? What if we went into our friendships? Going to make disciples is not a program, but people who are relationally, intentionally, and exponentially investing into others. Multiplication happens when everyone disciples someone. That's when it happens. Not waiting for this or that. I'm going to invite the worship team up, and then we've got one last point to encourage you. This last point is there to encourage you because I've struggled with this conversation. It's purposely being released, purposely multiplying. It can feel like, what are you asking me to do, Joel? Like, I don't even, I don't even know where to start in Scripture. Going through the Bible plan on the app, or I'm going through the series guides. I don't know how to share my faith. That's intimidating. I don't know how to pray very well. It's intimidating. Welcome to, welcome to the boat. I don't know what I'm reading all the time. I'll just be honest with you. I'm reading in Chronicles, like who are these people and why is this happening? I don't know how to pray well. I get distracted all the time. I'm like, boop, oh, I gotta do that today. Go, oh, my daughter's up. Okay, what do I do with this? Oh, that score last night. I don't have to pray very well. I am intimidated to share my faith sometimes. It's not always easy for me. It doesn't always make sense to me. I don't always go up to someone and initiate conversation like I would hope to. Listen, it's not about you being perfect. It's about you recognizing that God is with you and has placed you in a very specific place to grace others which is the last thing that you need to understand. Jesus purposely places you to grace others. Listen, none of you are here by accident. Maybe you feel like that. You're not. You're not here by accident. And the reality is this. Inside of that understanding is a profound truth of God's grace. Three quick things. That God's grace works in you. He has placed you where you're at and his grace simultaneously to work in you through the situation, circumstances, and people you're around. 
If it's hard right now, just keep holding on to God's grace. He's doing something in you. Even when you freak out, you get angry, you get mad, it's part of it sometimes. Or when things are going real sweet and awesome, God's working in that moment too. God's grace is ever working in you as you abide with Jesus, lean into the truth of his gospel, and trust him throughout the day. The second thing is this, that God's grace, it gifts you. We're not going to go into the depths of this, but Romans 12 talks about the gifts that God has given us through his spirit when you connect your life to Jesus. You are placed here specifically, and you have very specific gifts to give to this community and to reach others. That, that, that is so true. And sometimes we just think this is the only gifting. If you're up front, or if you can speak articulately, or if you can do this with people, it's not. Some of you are hospitable, some of you have mercy, service, you're generous. Are people reaching people for Jesus because of the heart that God's gave them and gifted them with some gifts that are running into them? And lastly is this. This is the one I struggle with the most. God graces, God's grace, it places you. God's grace places you where you are at for a very specific reason. Listen, I have a hard time with this. Sometimes I don't feel like I'm doing enough. I'm not around enough people. I'm not running hard enough. I don't got that kind of influence that those people have. I'm not doing this seven days a week. I'm not this and this and this. But God's grace has placed me where I'm at every single moment of every day. When I am at home with my kids, it is by his grace he's placed me there to grace them and my wife. When I'm at Cave working on whatever I'm working on or drinking coffee with someone, he has placed me there specifically with his presence and a spirit leading inside of that. When I'm here, I'm here. When I'm at the Y, I'm at the Y. When I'm walking around Lake Anna, I'm walk, walking around Lake Anna. When I'm at someone's house, there. I read this passage from a book. And I just want you to lean into it and then, I, and then we'll, we'll be done. I was reading a book by Paul David Tripp. It's called Do You Believe? He writes this. Tune in. Put your notes away if you need to. Phone away, whatever it is. This is what he would say. Think of the holy ground you live on every day. Before the foundations of the earth were laid in place, God claimed you as his own. He wrote the history of the world so at the right moments, the Savior would be born in Bethlehem. Jesus took on your humanity, subjected himself to the hardships of this fallen world, lived a perfect life, died an acceptable death, and rose again, conquering sin and death. Jesus did all of that with you in mind. He wrote every period of time, place, location, situation, and relationship into your story so that you would hear the gospel of his grace. He worked conviction into your heart, gave you ears to hear the truth, and gifted you with the ability to believe. He gave you his word and moved inside of you by his spirit. He poured down the blessing of his promises on you and will never leave you. He rules your life with your continued salvation in mind, using everything at his sovereign disposal to move along the work of his transforming mercies. There is never a moment when you aren't the object of redeeming love and sanctifying grace. The gargantuan, sovereignly directed plan of redemption has placed you on the ground you now stand. From eternity past to eternity future, your life has been claimed as holy grounds. Listen. If you are a follower of Jesus, you've been released 
you are released to be Jesus to others and you in every moment are standing on holy ground because the Spirit of God is with you. There's not a moment where in the morning you wake up early and you're spending time in the Word that it's not holy. There's not a moment where you go to the coffee shop and you're interacting with the baristas that's not holy or your school teachers or your kids' school teachers that's not holy and that God is using to sanctify you, grace you, and the ability to grace others. He is present in it all. So we talk about purposeful multiplication. It starts by he's released us, he's graced us, he's with us, and he sends us. That's where multiplication's at. So for some of us, it starts by saying yes to Jesus for the first time. But for others of us, it's connecting our lives to purposely going, purposely running into the environment that God has you in right here, right now. This is holy ground, not because of anything we've done, because of who he is and he's present here. You're going to go get lunch. You're going to go to your neighborhood. You're going to go into your house. You're going to work tomorrow. He is with you. He wants to use you in that. Don't minimize that. Don't minimize it. Because he's not. He doesn't look down and say, why aren't you doing enough? What do you think you're doing? Who do you think you are? Why aren't you climbing harder? Because abide in me and I remain in you. That's where fruits developed. Now go, make disciples. Father, we thank you so much for who you are and all that you do. Thank you for offering and giving Jesus so that we could be free. Those in the spirit of the Lord are free and we proclaim that this morning, Father. Your goodness and your grace are the only things that free us from the sin that we are so entangled in. So Father, today as we sit here in this holy moment because you are holy and because you graced us, we praise you. We ask that you would do something in our hearts and move us into the environments you want us to go in. Praise you. We love you. We thank you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you'd like to reach out and connect with us or hear more about Grace, you can head to barberton.gracechurches.org for more information. We meet in person at 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 629 Wesleyan Avenue in Barberton. Have a great day.